So, the Super Bowl's coming up in a few weeks. Does anybody care? All right. Five of us. So, I, I love the Super Bowl. I love football. Love to watch football. Love the Bears. And I plan on watching the Super Bowl. And my guess is that if history's any indication, I'm going to get invited to go watch it at somebody's house. Right? And I'm going to hate that. And here's the reason I'm going to hate it. Because when I go to, when I go to watch a football game, I do not want people around me who are going to do anything but watch the football game. I don't want to talk. I don't want to hear your stupid ideas. I don't want to talk about the commercials. I do not want to be distracted by my, by my family. I want to watch football. Everybody, right? That's what I like, right? But when you go to a Super Bowl party, right, it's all the hubbub. It's the food. It's the commercials, right? You've got people who are in the room who could care less about the Super Bowl, right? And they want to talk about something else. I hate that, right? I hate it. And here's why. Because you can't have, you can't have two competing agendas in the same place. You can't. Because when you have two competing agendas in the same place, you've got division. And where there's division, there's all kinds of things that can come with that. One of the biggest struggles in the church is agreeing on one, one agenda item. Because we can't have two agendas. And in a church of, listen, a church of any size, this applies to churches that are 50 people and churches that are 50,000 people. If there are multiple agendas in this room online for what you believe that the church's agenda should be, we're always going to have problems. And my hope, listen, my hope in, in this two week sermon, my hope is when I preach is that you will understand that there are a multitude of priorities and pillars of importance in the church, but there is only one agenda. And that agenda is this. You go and you make disciples of all nations and you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and you teach them to observe all I command you. Somebody say amen. That's the only agenda that a church should have. Does that mean other things aren't important? Of course not. It just means they're important for a reason. They're important for a reason. The reason they're important is because the mission mandates their importance. Why is giving important? Because giving is mandated by the mission. Why is serving important? Because the mission mandates service. Why is love important? Because the mission mandates it. Those are not separate agenda items. They simply find their value in the mission. Tell me you understand that, church. Track with me on that, yes or no, right? When a church can agree that there's one mission, and the mission in one agenda, and the agenda makes all these things important, man, it is... There's no telling what that church can accomplish. But adding new people, growing, adding campuses, it becomes challenging. Because people read their Bible, they hear other people talk, and they struggle with what is this church's agenda. Here's the church's agenda. We exist to make it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. Somebody say amen. That's our mission. 
It is 100% our mission, right? And because of that mission, we have three values, right? Those values are we say yes, we say more, and we say now, right? Say it with me. We say yes, we say more, we say why? Because if the agenda of the church is to lead people to Jesus and no one knows when their time is up and when their time is up, there's no decision to make. We have to say yes more and now because what's at stake? Eternity for your child. Eternity for your grandchild. Eternity for your friend, your coworker, your neighbor. Maybe even eternity for yourself, right? And if a church does not know what their agenda is, they can delay yes for weeks in committee. They can delay more because we don't have enough money. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough this. We don't have enough that. And we certainly can delay now because we don't want to make a rash decision. We need to think this through. Meanwhile, every day, people who don't know Jesus stand before God's throne to answer for their eternity. And churches that are divided on mission and agenda lose sight of that. I don't ever want to be a part of a church that loses sight of that. And I don't want to be a part of a church where the church doesn't know who we are and what we're trying to do, right? Because in the mission, you find all of your value. You find all of your purpose. You find all of your gifts and all of your talents. You find everything you need that the world says you can't have unless you're popular, unless you're on TV, unless you have fame and good looks. If you have none of those things, you have no value and purpose. Good luck with that, right? But in the church, if the mission is to reach the world with the gospel, do you know how many of you matter? Every single One of you, all of you. Well, what am I supposed to do? Listen, we can help you find your purpose. But I want you to understand that when it comes to the church of Jesus, there's one mission and there's a million important things that find their importance in the mission, right? That's what matters, right? I went to, I told you this, I think uh, last week, but I got to go, I got a chance to go to Green Bay, Wisconsin and visit Lambeau Field and watch the Packers embarrass the Bears again, right? And it was cold in Wisconsin. It was chilly. When we left here, it was like in the 70s. But in our bags, my daughter and I, who went with me, packed long johns. We packed hand warmers. I even bought uh, electrically charged hand warmers. I bought a toboggan, right? I bought all kinds of things. And here's the thing. I will never use any of them here ever. But the mission, the mission, which was to go to Green Bay and watch the Bears play in person in the dead of winter in Lambeau Field made every one of those purchases hugely important. Does that make sense to you? They're not important here. I don't need electric hand warmers in Florida, right? I don't need to buy those, those, I don't need to buy a toboggan a, a huge thick toboggan or a neck scarf because I live in Florida. Yeah, it's going to be chilly, but get over it. It's one day, right? I don't need to buy all that stuff. I have no winter clothes in my closet or my dresser. Why? Because I don't need it. But when I went to Green Bay, I had to have it. I, I even had to buy a pair of gloves, right? I'll never use those here. 
I may never use those again, right? I may take them to the thrift store, right? But they're not important here. There are things that are important in the church because the mission demands their importance. But they're only important when the mission is the most important thing. What is important can't become the mission. And that is the hardest thing to get people in the church to understand, right? When we talk about things like groups, they're important. But I'm never going to sell you on their importance to get you to get out of your scheduled life to go spend an hour, hour and a half with a group of people every stinking week for 52 weeks unless you understand the importance of the group. You get the importance of hanging around people and connecting to people and talking about the Bible and sharing your needs. But is it enough to keep you doing it week after week and month after month? No. But if you understand you need it to be successful in the mission, it becomes a lot more important. It becomes a lot more important. So my hope, again, is to communicate that through our values. Because once you have a church a business, and you create a mission, you've got to create values because values create the culture that you live and breathe in. And the culture is what gives you the ability to succeed, right? We, we, how many of you love America's version of Mexican food, right? Like I love going to, you know, we call it a Mexican restaurant. It's probably less Mexican and more Americanized, but it's Mexican food, right? We have a restaurant that we go to over near Tanger Outlets called Salsas. Anybody? We love to go to Salsas. It's our favorite place to go. And here's the reason why I love to go to Salsas. Because I love their culture. I love the culture of the restaurant because it's family owned and run. Right? And I love their family. Know almost every one of those people who work there by name. Right? I actually keep their names in my phone so I can remember who they are. Right. I love going there and walking in and feeling like I'm home because of the culture of that environment. I've taken people to salsas who've come in to visit me and I've taken them to salsas and they've walked away much less impressed than I thought they should have been. (laughs) And here's why. Because they didn't care about the culture. It wasn't important to them. Right. But it means everything to me. I love, so in Phoenix, Arizona, there's a restaurant. So I make a bucket list of food places to go to before I die because I'm smart. Okay. One of the places that I had on my bucket list was a place called Matt's Big Breakfast in Phoenix, Arizona. It was on my list. I was in Phoenix for a conference, went to the restaurant, made the mistake of taking my wife with me. So I went to Matt's Big Breakfast, long line, went in, no booze. It's a restaurant with no booze, all tables. And it was a table with two chairs. Here, and then three feet beside it was another table with two chairs, and then a table with four chairs, but we were all stacked beside each other, right? She hated it. So here I was at one of my top 50 restaurants of all time, checking off a bucket list item, enjoying the heck out of it, and she hated it. Because she hated the culture. She hated the environment of it. So culture matters. Would you agree with that? It just matters, and it matters in churches. This is why we teach this now every month to every new person that comes. Once they go through Discover Tomoka, we teach them who we are. We teach them our values because you have to figure out whether you can be a part of that culture. And not every Christian fits in every church culture. Can I get an amen? Right? But once you fit in, these values become your values. 
Because these values make our mission possible, which is to make disciples of all nations. So let's talk about behavior values, right? The kind of behaviors that we want to see out of people in our church and clearly on our staff. Here's our first one. We are growing, right? We are growing. Let's read some verses, right? Second Peter 3 says this. And I'm going to give you a lot of verses. You can find them on the YouVersion Bible app. All right. You can go to uh, events and find Tomoka. And all of those notes are there, right? Or you can write them down, right? Peter says this. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort, right, to being looking forward to Jesus' return right? And are getting to go home. He says, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Anybody in here grateful that God was patient so you could be saved? Say amen, right? He says, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters, right? His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. I love that Peter gives Paul a little dig, right? He says his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. He says this, therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Read this with me, church. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Right? Part of our responsibility and part of the values that we want to promote around here for you, for our staff, for all of us is you need to be growing. Right? You need to be growing. At some level, you need to be growing. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, right? Just as you were planted, right? You need to be rooted and you need to be built up in the Lord, right? It is our responsibility to continue to grow. And listen, you know as well as I do what it takes to grow, right? If you're, if you raised a child, you knew there were certain things you needed to provide for your child if they were to grow. What is the number one thing you needed to give your child for them to grow? Food. Everybody say food. They had to eat well. Do you have any idea how many Christians eat poorly? They eat poorly. Right? If you're 22 years old and your diet consists of milk and that's all you drink, are you healthy? No. Do you know how many Christian people have been going to church for a decade and all they drink is spiritual milk? Right? The Bible calls those people infants, still children, right? One of the values we want to espouse to here in our behavior is we need to be people who are growing on a regular basis. And listen, just like physical growth, it takes time. It takes time. Growth comes in seasons and growth comes in spurts, but you've got to do the things you need to do to continue to grow because what's at stake? Our mission. And what is the mission? We need to make it hard for your family to go to hell. We need to make it, we need to make it hard for your friends to go to hell. We need to make it hard for this community to go to hell. We need to make it hard for this nation to go to hell. Somebody say amen. We need you growing because if you can't grow one, 
If you're not growing, you're not going to want to be a part of the mission because the second value that we teach our staff and want to teach our church is this. We give, right? We give whatever is needed. We give whatever's needed. Listen to Matthew 25. Jesus talks, right, about Jesus returning. And he says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, when he returns, and all the angels come with him, he's going to sit on his throne in the heavenly glory. And all the nations are going to be gathered before him. And he's going to separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He's going to put the sheep on his right and the goats he's going to put on his left. And then he's going to say, right, to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom that was prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to drink or eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you, right, gave me your time and energy to look after me. I was in prison and you gave your time and energy to come and visit me. And the sheep, the righteous are going to say, When did we see you, Jesus, hungry and give you food? And when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and give you hospitality and invite you in? Or when did we see you clothes or needing clothes and give you clothing? And Jesus said this, when did did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? Jesus is going to say this, I tell you the truth, whatever you did or gave for one of the least of these brothers of mine. He says, you did it for me. We give whatever's needed, right? It has to be one of our values. One of the values of the church has to be, we don't worry about what we get. We worry about what we give. Do you think there are people right here in Ormond and Holly Hill, Daytona, that need food, clothing, visitation, Right? Why do we have an elder care ministry where we're in 22 nursing homes? Because do you know how many people who live in nursing homes never, ever get a visit? A ton of them. Right? There are people in need all the time. And you know what we do? We give whatever's needed. Listen to this principle of God. 2 Corinthians 9 says this about giving. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, right? Who's ever chintzy with the seeds is going to reap a sparing harvest. And whoever sows generously, seeds everywhere, is going to reap a generous harvest. Each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give, not out of reluctance, nor under compulsion, right? For God, say it with me, church, loves a giver, right? He doesn't say that to keep you from giving. He tells you that's the commodity you should bring to giving. Right? And God's able to make all grace abound to you and me so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, right, we will abound in every good work. As it is written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. For he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply also and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You want to know how to get more? Give more. And nowhere in there does he talk about money. Somebody say amen. 
He didn't say, listen, come sow your seed of $10 and God will multiply it to a hundred. Right? He says this, whatever you give, understand this. If you give sparingly, you're going to get sparingly. If you're going to sow generously, you're going to give, you're going to get generously. And he says this, he scatters, he scatters all of those things to the poor, but he gives them to the poor through the who? Through the righteous. Do you realize that the biblical truth is all the needs the poor people have, God has given them to us to use to meet their needs? That's why they have nothing. Because he's entrusted them to us to give to him. And he says he will supply everything you need. And if you want to enlarge that, give. Give what? Give whatever's needed. I've never been in a church where the lead pastor asks for so much money as Pastor Joe. Can somebody say amen? Right? He has no shame. None. Because one of our values is this. We give whatever's needed. And Joe will say all the time, you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You give generously, you reap generously. Right? That's a biblical principle that is true for all of us. We want to be a church that's giving. We want to give whatever it takes to make the mission. So is giving important? And who's it important for? Everyone. Right? For all of us who've been in that, in that responsibility. Here's another value that we teach. We worship. Right? We worship. Listen to John 4. Jesus talking to the woman at the well. He says, Jesus declared to her, believe me, woman. Right? A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on a mountain nor in Jerusalem. He says, the Samaritans worship what you don't know. We, the Jews, worship what we do know. For salvation comes from the Jews. Yet, he says, in spite of those two differences, there's going to be a time coming. And it's come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He says, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Worship is a part of who we are. Right? Listen, worship, right? The Greek word means to be prostate, right? To be prostate before something, acknowledging its greatness, acknowledging its authority, and acknowledging my position before it, right? We live in a world, listen, how many people in here are over 50? All right, welcome to the club, all right? We are, at 50, we can be the old man screaming, get off my lawn. Right? Because we look at the younger generation and we've got some, we've got a couple criticisms, yes? Right? And one of the criticisms that we have of the younger generation is they just don't respect authority. I hate to tell you this, but neither did you. And neither did I. Right? We were just better at it than they were. Right? We were just better at hiding it. But here's the thing. Christians, I told my staff this today. This book represents that God, the only true God. And if we are to be in a proper relationship with God through Jesus, our posture should always be, you are the greater, I am the lesser. You are to be honored, I am to serve. That, he says, is worship. And yet over and over and over again, cultures make church about 
us. We are the thing that is the focal point. This isn't good for me. I don't like this. We need to change that. Why? Because all of a sudden, the worship service is designed for who? You. But we're supposed to worship. We're supposed to worship him. Here's what Paul says in Romans 12. He says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What was God's mercy? God's mercy was he did not punish us for our sins, even though we deserved it. Somebody say amen. Right? He says, in view of God's mercy, that we should offer our body as a living sacrifice. That means you die to yourself while you live. That sacrifice is holy and pleasing to God. And that is our spiritual act of Come on, say it with me. Worship. You want to know the greatest act of worship you can do? It is not singing in a church service. The greatest act of worship you could do is to live a life where you've completely surrendered yourself to him. That is your spiritual act of worship. And what did Jesus tell the woman at the well? There's coming a time. There's coming a time when those who worship the, worship God are going to have to worship him in spirit and in truth. The greatest spiritual act of worship you could make is by being a person who surrenders themselves while they live. Is there anything harder than being that selfless? I don't think so. I think it's ultimately the core struggle for every believer. How do I learn to live such a selfless life in view of God's mercy? We worship. We want to be those people. We want our staff to be those people. We want our church to be those people because we are people who worship. How about this one? We are people who lead, right? We are people who lead. You can hear that. We are people who lead, right? We are leaders, right? Listen to this verse, right? This verse is quoted a lot, right? For lack of guidance, a nation will fall, right? For lack of guidance, what leaders provide, a nation will fall, but many advisors, right? Many people who can give guidance make a victory sure. We're leaders. Now listen, there's a million books on leadership. Some of you've read some of them, right? There are a million podcasts on leadership. You'll hear preachers talk about leadership, right? There's a million different, different definitions of leadership, but here's at its core, what leadership is. It's leveraging your influence to move somebody forward. Whatever leadership is, it's you being used in such a way that you help somebody else move forward. That's leadership. Our parents leaders, our parents leaders, our teachers leaders, right? Our grandparents leaders, Yes, over. Our mission trip leaders, leaders. Yes, our group leaders, leaders. Yes, our people who serve in children's ministry as, as volunteers, leaders. Yes or no? Yes, our youth partners, leaders. Guess what we are? We are a church of leaders. We are people who are willing to be used by God to leverage our influence to help other people move forward. And do you know how many leaders we need in the church? A ton. We have 3,000 people. Probably, probably 4,000 people that call this church home. 3,000 of them would call themselves partners of our church. And yet we have 480 some people in small groups. You want to know why we don't have 3,000 people in groups? It's because we don't have enough leaders. It's that simple. We took 40 mission trips last year. 
And there are tons of people that are in desperate need of our time and our effort to help them. You know why we sent 40 trips and not 50 trips? Because we didn't have enough leaders, right? You want to know why we get, we get stuck at certain numbers of people that come to our church? Because we don't have enough people in the parking lot making it easy to get in and out. We don't have enough people who are willing to step in and serve in children's ministry, right? Right now, we're struggling at 630 to find volunteers. Our 430 service is packed on Saturday night, but not enough 430 people are worshiping one, serving one, and making serving a priority at 630. And we're struggling to grow the 630 service because of that. Because where there is no guidance, a nation will fall. But in many advisors, many people giving guidance, victory is assured. The biggest hurdle for churches to overcome in its growth is a lack of leaders, right? And every one of us has that ability. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says this. He says, it was he... Right. It was Jesus. Right. Who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists. Right. Some to be pastors and some to be teachers. Why? So the God's people. Right. For God's people to be prepared for works of ministry or works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up. And in being built up, we can reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature. Right. Attaining to the whole measure. That means we look just like Jesus. The fullness of Christ. Then he says we won't be children. Who get tossed back and forth. By new doctrine. Right. By new waves and blown here and there. By the by the different winds of teaching. And the craftiness and the cunning of men. And their deceitful scheming. Right. Instead we'll be people who do this. We speak the truth in love. And we will in all things grow up into him. Who's the head that is the Christ. We need everybody leading to make this work. With many, many, many advisors, victory is sure. But a nation without guidance, without those who will provide it, that nation will fall. If a nation will fall, imagine what a church will do without those who will lead and advise. It will fall too. Listen, the mission matters. Amen, church? Which makes leadership matter as well. How about this one? We trust. Anybody who's worked at, worked on my staff for any time knows this is a big one for me. Right? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. The love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. How are you doing? You feel good about yourself? Right? Love isn't rude. It's not self-seeking and it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, right? Love doesn't delight in evil things, but rejoices with the truth. Listen to this. I want you to listen to what it says. He's describing love, right? Everybody agree that love is patient? Everybody agree that love is kind, right? Listen to what he says. Love always protects. And read these next two words with me. Love always trust. Love always trust and it always hopes and it always perseveres. He goes on in verse 11 and says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a grown up, 
When I became a man or a woman, I put those childish ways behind me. We see now in a mirror, a poor reflection. Then we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall, now I know in part, then I shall fully know even as I am known. We have to be a people who trust because love believes or trust how many things come on, say all things, all things. So that means that if you're in a situation, let me just give an example, right? So we start church on Wednesday night at six 30. All right. I do my best. Thanks to Charles Dolich to make sure I'm out here at six 30. Mike, how am I doing with that? Thumb up. Pretty good. Today I came out exactly when the clock struck 6.30, right? I tried to do that. Because here's what I found out. That if I clock out at 6.33 because I'm in the back talking or getting something together, we got people who are online. Hello, everybody online. We have people online who are sitting there in dead air. You've got each other to talk to. If I'm three minutes late coming out, most of you wouldn't even care. Amen? How many of you care if I'm 20 minutes over? Thank you. I appreciate you, right? But the people who were sitting online in three minutes of dead air, guess what we found out? They cared a lot. They cared a lot. So here's what was happening. Every time I was late coming onto the stage, those people had to fill that gap I created with something. And you know what a lot of them filled it with? Frustration, anger, and they clicked off. You know what the Bible says we do in those gaps? Love, say it with me, love believes all, love believes all things. How many of you have ever said this? You've got to earn my trust. They need to earn my trust. Anybody ever say that? Oh, come on. I know there's more than four of you that have said that. Okay. And how many of you have ever said that, had that said to you? Yeah. Right. Do you realize that when you love the way God loves You don't make anybody earn your trust because love always trusts. Love believes all things. How many of you have been a Christian for more than, let's just say, three years? Okay. How many of you have had God come down and say to you, you know what? You were terrible yesterday and I don't trust you with the Holy Spirit anymore. You know what? Do better today. Earn my trust and I'll give it back to you. How many of you have had that conversation with God? Anybody? Nope. Nope. You want to know why? Because God doesn't operate that way. You know what God does? God loves us. And every day God fills the gap with what? Trust. Because love believes what? All things. How many of you are grateful that he hasn't pulled the Holy Spirit from you and made you earn it again? Anybody? Yeah. Right? Why is it that the God of the universe... Why is it the God of the universe who is holy and righteous and just with no darkness in him doesn't make us earn his trust and yet us as the most flawed people in the world make other people earn our trust? The Bible says love doesn't behave that way. Now I know some of you are going to walk away and go, I hate that. That's not true. Because listen, I counsel people on this all the time. And I know this is true. I know that love fills the gap with trust. I've watched it work. And when you get this principle, it'll make your marriage better. It'll make your relationships better. 
It'll make going to work better. And I guarantee you it'll make being a part of a church better. Because you know what love does when there's gaps? Not only is it patient and not only is it kind, but the Bible says love always protects and it always believes. And you know what love ultimately does? It never fails. When in doubt, give your trust away because love believes all things. Stop asking people to earn your trust. Who in the world are you? Right? Now listen, I'm not asking you because somebody's going to email me and go, what about this? Listen, there are situations in life that demand that you don't hitch your wagon to abusive people. Okay? I'm not asking you to be irresponsible. I'm talking about being on mission. I've said, I use this example in our, in our Discover Together class. How many of you worship in person on the Ormond campus? Raise your hand. And how many of you have participated in taking communion at the Ormond campus? And how many of you are aware that several months ago, we stopped giving you three minutes of silence and started giving you 30 seconds of silence, and then we start singing a song during communion? Right? And how many of you had questions as to what are we doing? Several of you, right? Here's what happened. We created a gap for all of these adults that came through four services because one week we were giving you three and a half minutes to take communion in dead silence because apparently that's the only way you can do it. And we started doing 30 seconds of silence and then playing a song. And people were upset. How in the world can I take communion with all that noise going on? Right? Do you realize that online, on the weekends, there are up to upwards to 1,400 people scattered all over the globe that are joining us to hear the gospel. Somebody say amen, right? And several of those people are finding faith in Jesus for the first time because they're joining there. And here's what our campus pastor said. He said, when you give three and a half minutes of dead air, people are clicking off. Is it possible to shorten the gap so people won't jump offline? You know what we said? Absolutely. Why? Because the mission isn't to make you comfortable during the service. The mission is to make it hard for people to go to health in this generation. Somebody say amen. Right? So you know what we're going to ask you to do? We're going to ask you to believe all things. We're going to ask you to sit in that in that 14th row on the left side of the of the church on Saturday night at 630. And when Charles O'Mell and the team start playing 30 seconds into communion, you're like, what's going on? I didn't even have a chance to pray. Right? How am I supposed to take communion? We're going to ask you to fill that gap with trust because why? Love, say it with me, church. Love believes. Does that make sense to you? Listen, you want to learn how to live in church and work out biblical principles? These are biblical principles. You can argue with me all you want. I'll listen to you, but I'm not going to engage with you because I know what scripture says. Scripture says love always protects. And love always believes. And love will never fail. I trust God's word. Somebody say amen. We learn how to trust. Here's another one I say all the time. We work through grief. We work through grief. I went out to Saddleback 10 years ago when we were moving from Granada to here. The week we were moving, I left town and I went to Saddleback in California. Wasn't the greatest time to leave, but I will never regret going. 
because I walked into the church at Saddleback where Rick Warren was at, and I saw on the board these lines. Change creates loss. Loss creates pain. And pain has to be grieved. You've experienced that, right? How many of you have lost somebody that you loved? That change was a massive loss. Somebody say amen. Did that loss create pain? Yes or no? And that pain had to be grieved. Yes or no? Yes. Because here's what happens. Change ultimately is something we don't like. Not because we hate change. But because we don't want to grieve. We're not very good at it. Right? Did your favorite restaurant ever close down? Right? Did your favorite football team pack up in the middle of the night and leave town? Right? Did the church that you loved on Granada relocate to Hand Avenue and become this, this massive mega church? Right? Every time there's change in your life, no matter how insignificant or how significant, there is some, there is some loss that comes with it. Right? It always is. My rent went up this year. Anybody else? That change created a loss in my disposable income. And that loss of disposable income created a little bit of pain, right? And no matter how insignificant it is, you've got to grieve through that process. Do you have any idea how many changes you actually absorb on a day-to-day to week-to-week basis that you have to grieve through? Just think about all the changes that you go through that you automatically process and get through. But then add a big one. What happened to the pastor that was here? I love Pastor Michael. Where's Pastor Ryan? Pastor John was amazing. Why did he leave? Right? What happened to this group? We used to have this group, but now it's not here anymore. Why is that group not here? Right? If you're in a church of this size, there's going to be massive changes. Yes? Every change creates loss. And every loss creates pain point for people. People have to learn to grieve. That's why I say to people all the time, grief share isn't just for people who lose a loved one. There are a million things to grieve. I had to grieve my kids moving out and becoming an empty nest parent. Anybody else? I had to grieve becoming 60. And some of you are grieving turning 40 this year. Or becoming 50. And some of you are crazy because you say it's just a number, right? No, it's not. It just means I'm closer to dying, right? I had to grieve the loss of my hair on the top of my head, right? There are a million things we have to grieve. And here's what you need to do. One of the values we teach our staff and we now teach every new person at our church is if this is your culture, you better learn how to grieve. Because if you get stuck in grief by getting angry, right? Read Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Five Stages of Grief, right? Even though it was written many, many, many years ago, it's still so accurate. But grief is, a po- is, is possible for us. But people get stuck in anger. Oh, I'm never going back to that church ever, ever again. You're never going to believe what they did. Change is loss. Loss is pain. And pain has to be grieved. We want to be a church that grieves well. Not just the loss of loved ones, but the loss of classes, the loss of staff people, the loss of your favorite thing, the loss of the item in the cafe that you love the most that we changed, right? Whatever it is, you're going to have to learn how to grieve through it. Because I can tell you this, if you can't learn to grieve, you're going to hate life and you're going to hate this church, right? But if the mission is to make it hard for people to go to health in this generation, change is necessary. We had to move from Granada. 
to reach more people. Anybody here grateful that we did? Say amen. Right? And one of these days, we may outgrow this place. Why? Because the mission makes all those things important. Here's what God's word says in 2 Corinthians 1. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And God comforts us in all of our troubles, all of our griefs. Why? So that you and I will be qualified to comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You know what ministry is? God comforting you as you grieve so that you can then be used to comfort other people who are going through the same thing. Anybody in here, don't raise your hand, but anybody in here who's gone through a divorce, ever been asked to help somebody else who's gone through a divorce? Anybody in here ever been called to help somebody who lost a loved one because you got comforted while you lost a loved one. That's how God works. Why? Because people have to grieve. We've got to be able to grieve. We've got to be able to allow God to comfort others through us, which means you and I have to be people who get through grief. If you are a person who's prone to get stuck and can't move on, you're going to hate life. You're going to make the people around you miserable and you're going to hate being a part of this church because we are people that have to learn how to grieve. Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 says this. He says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. We've got to be people that grieve. Does that track with you church? Yes or no? Right? Those are our behaviors. Those are values that we promote within our staff. Values that we want to promote within our church. We've got personal values. And clearly, I'm going to let you go. And I'm going to come back next week. And I'm going to teach you uh, our personal values. But again, all of this is built on this. There cannot be two agendas at one time. Yes or no? Can't have it. There's got to be one mission. One agenda. And everything else we do is important because of that mission. These behavior values. We are growing. We give whatever is needed. We worship. We lead. We trust. We work through grief. Those all are a part of creating a culture. Right? Creating a culture that allows us to accomplish our mission and vision. Which is to go and make disciples of all nations. We need these values so we can say yes. We can say more. And we can say now. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, I... uh, I want us to be a church with a healthy culture. And I want, I want the folks here on Wednesday night to be the core group of being champions for that culture. And my guess is, Father, that somewhere in all of those words and all of those values that your word, your spirit spoke to each one of us about a particular area where we need to grow and we need to get better. So, Father, my prayer is that you would do that work in each of us. That you would do the work in us to become people who understand what becomes important because the mission is important above all else. We're not trying to grow a company. We're not trying to be the biggest church in the world. We're not trying to store money and collect properties. But all those things are important because we want to reach the whole world with the gospel. So we are innocent of the blood of all men. Father, make us a church that's healthy in its culture so we can accomplish that work. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. I'll see you next week.